The Depp Heard case. You know the one at this point you have probably, well, you think that you have seen it all, heard it all, read it all. But boy, oh boy, I got an episode for you today because you have yet to hear not only the cancel me baby take on it all, but baby, we are going into the cancel me baby archives today. That's right. This is basically our generation's version, right? Of the OJ Simpson trial. It's like, we are hanging, you know, we're on the edge of our seats. We are, it, it is like gripping. We are literally hearing all of these recordings is back and forth. The story is becoming more convoluted. Like I said, we are on the edge of our seats, but I will let you know, my dear, near and dear cancel me, baby listeners. I too have recording with Amber Heard from my time with her in an interview I did with her on the set in Australia of Aquaman in 2017 about, of all things, womanhood, power, female empowerment. Oh my God, your brains are going to be blown. Did I not say all roads lead to and from this show. Just call me the wizard, all right? Because it is happening yet again. And what is so fascinating about revisiting what she said, I'm gonna play for you the audio too. Oh, this is a whole experience. That's what I said earlier. You thought, you thought you have heard it all in this trial on YouTube, on here, on there, on memes. Oh no, I have the audio and I'm going to play it for you. I'm not just retelling the story, but I'm going to take you in with me, but you are going to actually hear it. And what is so fascinating is knowing what we know now, knowing where and when kind of where she was in her life as she's telling me all of this. And what it all looks like in hindsight, hearing it differently. Oh, snap. Buckle in, kids. It is going to be one today. So let me bring you in with me in on the experience. Before I really go into the archives, unearth this audio, reflect on it. And as usual, we are going to talk about the bigger picture of all of it. And just again, like what a true like mind F it is to see it all now, like hindsight is 2020. We have been warned, but my gosh, picture it. It's 2017. Okay. We're young. We're naive. We don't even, the, the word pandemic is not even in our vocabulary. And here I am in Australia in Queensland. I was sent to the Aquaman set by Fandango. And it is a whole setup. Like it, Warner Brothers it, is involved and they put your ass up. I'm not going to lie. They, I, no qualms with the experience. They whine and they dine you. And it is one for the books. I am there on the set and I'm talking to the cast members and I'm seeing the costumes and I'm seeing like the huge set. You would not believe it. Like the huge sets larger than like, like, I don't know if Disney world is going to remain here in Florida, but like Disney world ain't got shit. Cause this is another level. I'm talking like blue screens, not green screens, but blue screens. As far as the eye can see, if you have seen Aquaman, 
I'm talking like those big props of those kind of like, you know, Atlantis statue-esque, I don't know what this gypsy move is that I'm doing, but just go with it, okay? These like huge Atlantis statues, those were real, okay? This is not all CGI and we're seeing them in this huge boat that they built on this sound stage. I mean, it like you are behind the scenes, you are in the stuff of movie making magic, literally. It is all right there. I even shared to my Instagram feed photos of me and other reporters on the set. And for those of you who have seen the pictures, my outfit choice certainly was questionable. And I obviously was not dressing to impress that day, but that is neither here nor there. Next thing you know, you know, we're talking about Jason Momoa and this dude, I turn around and they're in between takes and he is strumming the guitar like John Mayer's protege. It is a whole moment. You have publicists, you have producers, everyone's running around. Like it is, it's a moment, a moment like this. Okay. Like you thought it was about winning American Idol, but it was about that day in July in 2017 on the Aquaman set. And when I say we are all up in that action on this movie set, I truly mean it. She and Jason Momoa at this point are in the middle of shooting a scene. I'm going to see if I can put up a clip from it of it now, what scene it was, but it's when she is showing him that she can move water and they're in this kind of like underground, like this cave thing. And I mean it when I'm up in the action, like they literally yell cut basically out comes Amber. She's in the red wig, the costume, like the green jacket, the entire thing. And we're watching them do the take over and over and over before that on the dark, cold set, you know, behind the director and everything like behind the scenes and the whole thing. So we're literally grabbing her in between takes and she sits and pops down and has a conversation with us. So it doesn't get any more in the action than that. I don't think if so, prove me wrong. You know, I'm ready. Name it. What is it? So I, get into a conversation with Amber Heard of all things, but like I had teased earlier, you know, female empowerment and all that. I hate that even term because it's like so watered down now, but you get the idea, like womanhood and the power that comes with it and autonomy. Meanwhile, having no idea what was really going on at the time, no idea. So you can only imagine, guys, you don't think this wasn't in her head as she's talking to us. Let me lay out the timeline. Then I'm going to give you a little snippet of how fascinating this is and something that she said to me. Then we're going to take a deep dive. All the puns intended. Thank you. So this was July 2017. Now, as we know, well, some of you, you know, may know who are following this case, they were married. She and Johnny, Johnny Depp, they met in 2011. They married in 2015. The alleged abuse took place between 2015 and 2016. Now in 2016, that is when Amber Heard, you know, filed a restraining order filed from divorce. Okay. This went down my conversation with her in 2017. So again, you can only imagine what's going on in the back of her mind. None of us know this really. Okay. Me too ends up like the big Ronan Farrow piece on Weinstein, all this expose ends up occurring a couple months after this conversation with her. So I don't know, October, 2017. And then she pens the Washington post op-ed basically alluding to the fact that Johnny Depp allegedly abused her in 2018. So in sum, let's recap. Okay. 
This conversation with her is smack dab in the middle of exhibit A, divorce, alleged abuse, restraining order, and exhibit B, okay? Me too would ultimately be me too. The Washington Post op-ed that Johnny Depp is suing her for, for defamation, and now this trial. So here we are, guys. Cancel me, baby. The wizard, the Oz, the middle of it all. How we find ourselves in this situation, I don't know, but it is the stuff of magic. It is the stuff of fairy tales. Am I right? So let me play you this little teaser. This is when... I asked Amber how she, you, you'll hear me ask the question, okay? But I asked her how she most identifies with the character Mara in Aquaman and what she learns from her. And so here you go, a little audio musical, if you will, treat. What is something that you feel like you identify with and something that you've actually learned from Mara? Um, you know, Mara is... Um, is very controlled and puts her, she, she's very controlled and she puts herself behind what she believes is her place. For instance, Mara will, um, struggles with doing what she thinks is right despite what she wants to do. And I think I just do what I want to do. <laughs> Contrast. Yeah. So she's a lot more controlled and, and, and restrained than I am. Okay. So isn't that interesting hearing in hindsight how she comes out and is like, you know what, Mara, God love her, but I, you know, she tries to do the right thing, but me, Amber, you know, a bitch can't be tamed. You can't control me and you can't hold me back. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Well, now it is 2022. And clearly that is pretty much the case. It seems like Amber Heard does in fact not hold back and is going to do whatever the F she wants to do. With that said, a really unique view into all of this. You hear it different now. And like I said, you can't sit here and tell me that even though she wasn't explicitly talking about what had gone down, that that wasn't in the back of her mind in every single minute and in like reflected on some level of everything that she had to say. Now, as for that comment, I mean, up to interpretation as are more of the clips that I'm going to play for you today, really up to interpretation. Do you know what I mean? And I know this is such a polarized topic. A lot of people are thinking like, she's a hypocrite. She's a liar. She's this and that. And Johnny Depp is totally innocent or people are in Amber Heard's court. Like it's, it's just such chaos and it's so insane. But as I'm going to lay out for you today, the truth of the matter is as we're hearing and as we listen to these, you know, audio clips of what she told me at the time, none of it is that black and white. It's all really murky and none of it is really exactly what it seems in this entire clusterfuck. Okay. Never mind if this whole thing should even be going down in the first place. Cause we're not going to really explore that today. Like what I really want to explore is her themes and the real craziness of 
how we use the idea of being a woman in society, in pop culture. It's either as a, you know, hear me roar, you know, an emblem of power and almost like a shield of armor. Right. But then on the other side, it can almost be weaponized, but on a sidebar, there is the whole argument going on right now of why is this even happening? Why is this being live streamed? These are just two narcissistic actors who want to be playing actor and putting on a show for the world to make themselves look better, to prove their point, to clear their names in any which way. And I've also heard fascinating arguments from people who specialize in PR being like, this isn't helping either of you in any way, shape or form, no matter what that outcome is of this case, you guys are both already doing yourselves a disservice because you should have just let this brush under the rug, kept it moving and gone on. You know what I mean? But instead it's now this whole public spectacle. You also have both of them again, trying to really plead their case and make their case. Amber Heard's case saying, you know, I was abused, whether it be, you know, mentally, physically, verbally, psychologically, uh, sexually, right? Hence that op-ed she wrote, which she never says Johnny Depp's name, but then we go to Johnny Depp, where because of that, there was a major fallout in his personal and professional life. He lost his, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean um, film, you know, Hollywood basically really separates themselves from him, which is a cautionary tale, which I'm going to visit later, but also personally, right? His family, his kids, and just having the stigma of basically being, you know, a wife beater and how detrimental and horrible it was, um, you know, ruining his life in a lot of ways. So he is trying, he's trying to now clear his name. So in the end, it could all come down to he said, and she said, and I'm going to sprinkle in some of what I think happened throughout this episode, but let's get to more of what Amber Heard and I discussed that courtroom audio. They thought they thought that they were the only ones, but they weren't because we're here. And by the way, this is no, I talked earlier about, you know, being sent by Fandango, all these big entities, right? Representing Fandango on the set visit, being there with the Warner brothers team, let me just have you know, like, this was no easy task to even pull this episode together, okay? Because this shit is embargoed, not anymore, because the movie ended up coming out and the piece ultimately ran two of the pieces I wrote for Fandango from the set visit in 2018. But they have you, like, sign your life away, you're firstborn. I had to go in the archives, make sure, like, look at NDAs, look at embargoes, being like, am I going to get sued? Are we good? But also, like, no publicity is bad publicity, so have at it. But, um, yes, yeah, so I found the original transcript and a good, good Samaritan had sent me the audio. So you get the pleasure of hearing it. I'm going to play for you. You'll hear my questions and I'm going to play the entirety of her answer, or at least most of it, you know, for time, but this way you get the full context of what she's saying. And it's not just like one sound bite pulled out. So there's no context and you're like, what is happening? So in these first clips I'm playing you, I ask, it's a little windy, of course, like when I'm asking my question, go figure such as life. Um, yeah, like literally the tornado out of, speaking of Wizard of Oz came and just tried to blow my recorder away because it knew one day I would do this episode, but I am still here and, you know, I'm still standing. So 
you hear me ask her about how one of the producers uh, told us that ex- maybe the executive producer told us that the relationship between Aquaman and Mara wasn't necessarily romantic, how it was more of a partnership. So she answers that question. And then I kind of piggyback and I say something like, okay, so she, he's not necessarily saving her, right? So, you know, it's not that kind of thing that we normally see where he kind of like comes in and swoops her and, you know, swoops in and saves a day and saves her. Right. So she answers that. And um, in that answer, you're going to hear right on cue because we're talking about Jason Momoa's, you know, being attractive, some would say. And he comes in and we're all joking because we're like, here he is on cue. And you hear him like come right in and start playing the guitar. We all start laughing. Um, and that's also what you can't really make out in the first part of this, uh, question to her. Cause I kind of make a joke, like, you know, I know you guys don't really like necessarily fall in love and there's not that much like, you know, romance, sexual attraction, whatever, but like with such two like sexually attractive people, how do you guys not fall in love? Like, let's be honest. She clearly has, you know, a, a strong stance about all this. So here you go. So Peter told us that this isn't so much of a love story as it is more of like a more of like a partnership mm-hmm. but here's my question these two beautiful actors like how do you not fall in love with Aquaman like how do they not fall in love with each other these characters well the thing is really hard to look at you know we all know we all know that um and but you know the the thing I really like about this is it I feel it um has a more modern uh it comes from a it has a more modern uh, approach I think to what would otherwise be a more a more classic uh, uh, superhero kind of formula. This is um, very much a two-hander. It's very much a story um, where they are equal partners, and because they come from different worlds, their strengths are very different. Um, where one excels in one world, the other is a fish out of water. You know, and right, like pun intended. <laughs> Owning it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's true, you know, where uh, Mira, is, uh, when she's on the surface, um, they, <laughs> when she's on the surface world, it's very much the, um, the alien world to her. The same way that when Arthur is in Atlantis, uh, he, he's, he's um, completely out of his element. But we both excel at being in our own world and because we have our own identities and because our identities are um, uh, tied up in, 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 in who we are in, in our respective worlds, we share equal responsibility in the journey that we comes partake. And he, saves her. It's like this, like, and he never, like, you know, what I really love is that, uh, and, and you know, part of what I was saying when I said it's more modern is yeah. that it is. It does not rely on this whole damsel in distress, formulaic thing we see all the time, um, and we've seen a million times. It. He doesn't rescue the girl and then get it, save the world. You know, he doesn't. Um, in fact, I save him. Um, so, so, and like I said, they 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 go on this adventure as equal partners, and uh, they end that way. So, there is an element of. Um, Attraction there, but um, but it is not the thing. <laughs> right on cue. <laughs> His ears are ringing. Soundtrack. <laughs> um, but you know, because there there is an attraction there, but because they have a job to do, they have a mission to fulfill, and they're equal partners in the success and failure of that mission. Um, they have to 
um, that takes a back seat to their, you know, to their, you know, to their relationship. That element is not uh, the driving force. It's interesting to me, reflecting back on this, how much of a, I don't want to say calculated, but you can see she really takes time to give her answers. And she also is charismatic. She uses puns at one point and is, you know, very funny and has, you know, that kind of, you know, attractive, charismatic personality. Even that in and of itself, I find interesting now looking back because as does Johnny Depp, you know what I mean? You see him in the courtroom, you know, and by the way, none of this is like defending one over the other, because like I said, I'm going to get to the bigger picture of this after anyway, and the nuance and like what is really like going on here and what's problematic about all of this. So I'm not defending anybody one way or another. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just making observations, right. And how interesting, cause he's charismatic too. You see him in the courtroom and he's like cracking jokes and everyone's laughing. And even the judge is like, if you laugh, I have no problem kicking you out. You know what I mean? Which is why, again, what I was saying earlier, a lot of people have a problem with this even being live streamed and us getting a play-by-play -play anyway, because they're like, what, what is this? Like, is this your real lives and like embarrassing and, and dark and horrible moments, like being brought to the light? Like, for what? Is this like for our entertainment? Is this really to clear your name? Like, is this just to put on a show in theatrics? Like, what is all this? But I found that really interesting how she is, you know, again, very kind of like thoughtful and charismatic person as is he. So I don't know. What does that say? Up to interpretation, right? So here's another question I ask her and I ask her on the heels at this time, it was on the heels of Wonder Woman, the original, like not the wretched eighties sequel that should have never happened. But nonetheless, I ask her, and they're both in the DC world, by the way, and Justice League, all that. So I say, how is Mara basically her own brand of badassery? And you're going to see, she really, again, like goes in on this theme of like respecting her as a woman. And, you know, she talks about like being an average woman in society going off of that. She talks about the responsibility that of being, of having this unique place, you know, kind of being put on a pedestal and being so highly publicized as this, you know, female character in a huge comic superhero franchise in DC comics, you know, in Justice League and Aquaman. And it's so interesting because you're going to see, she talks about being, you know, socially responsible and how it is a huge, you know, weight and how she always tries to do the socially responsible thing. So here you go. Roll it. On the heels of Wonder Woman, this like badass icon, what would you say makes Mara like a, a badass in her own, of her own, like her own brand of badass? Mara's her own woman. What I, what I love about, she's her own superhero. She's not Aqua Woman. She's Mira. Um, and uh, part of what got me, you know, when I first talked to Zach on the phone about, uh, about the prospect of doing this film, he said, you know, she's a warrior queen, you know, you, you basically you get a sword and a crown, and I was like, okay, you know how to pitch to your audience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm listening now, because at first I, I said, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a damsel, I, you know, I've played a, a, a range of characters as diverse as I've been able to, um, uh, to get a chance to do. Um, and being a, a woman, especially, um, you know, having been a young woman in this industry, raising myself in this industry, it's kind of, you know, it's been limited, but I've done the most of what I can, um, especially considering that. And the one thing, the one common element 
and in what I would hope is a diverse range of characters. One element they all have in common is that they've been um, driven or powerful um, in their own right. I've not necessarily ever been interested in playing um, reactionary or, or uh, women or weak female um, characters. And Mira is uh, the definition of a strong, uh, driven, independent uh, woman. And, a sword, and aside from the whole sword and a, a crown um, comment, <laughs> Um, what really sold me on this project is I was doing my research and I was reading the, the um, graphic novels and in, in one of the um, first ones that I read, there's a scene, um, or, you know, there's a, some natural disaster involving water, a tsunami um, hits on the land and of course Aquaman comes in and saves the day and the civilians are like, you know, oh my god, it's Aquaman, it's Aquaman! And they turn to Mira, who has done equal work in saving... <laughs> this village or this town um, they turn to her and they're like and who are you? Are you Aquawoman? And she's like no, Aquawoman? I'm Mira I'm not, I have my own name and it's Mira and I was like oh, I like this, I like this woman and I respect it as a character, I respect it as a person, I, I also respect it as um, the average modern woman who is sick, of is sick and tired of seeing the same old you know, um, two-dimensional reactionary uh, passive roles that are limited to, um, like I said, being rescued or enchanting the the, the male protagonist. I'm, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't. I, I feel like I have a lot more to offer in life, and I'm bored with those characters when I watch them in um, in theater. So why would I want to play them? I try to live my life in the most socially responsible way that I can, knowing my unique place uh, in 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 the world. You know, um, um, so I, I I try to be true to to honoring that extra responsibility, the burden of that responsibility. Best I can. She's a solid constitution, a strong sense of self, who she is, what her role is, what her position is, and the sense of duty. Uh, an honor um, that she um, uses to approach all of the situations in her life is, is, is one that I respect and, and really like and I admire that in this character. So I don't know about you, but what off the bat is the most striking to me after re-listening to this is how she keeps honing in on this idea of duty and honor, especially the responsibility of a woman and what that means. Now, I know she's not specifically talking about her personal situation, but like I said earlier, you know that is running on replay in the back of her mind. So knowing what we know now, this is somebody where a lot of people I could understand where, where they're like, what a fraud. And what a liar, because we've come to learn that, I, yes, I think that this was a mutually abusive relationship, but she, in fact, was also the abuser. So this is somebody who rode on the coattails of Me Too right after it really exploded and in a way kind of became the face of it coming forward in this op-ed talking about how she herself was a victim, not only of these structures put in place, right. With men being the oppressors and running the show and also of somebody who was domestically abused, alluding to Johnny Depp and in the op-ed talking about needing resources for, you know, domestic violence for women and not having a stigma and all of this. And we come to learn now that 
it in fact, in many ways where she was the aggressor and the instigator and the abuser. So I could see we're listening to something like that. It's like, you know, how hypocritical, like really what a fraud. And this has been my problem with the extremes of me too, from the beginning. I mean, you all know, I've talked about it in my work, in my interviews, on my show, is the extremes not only of, you know, making all men immediately bad and wrong and the abusers, but also taking real, you know, when stuff like this ends up unfolding, taking real attention and resources and credibility from people who solely were victims, right? So it's really kind of in hindsight how she rode that wave and use it to her advantage and in a way almost exploited it. It really makes me think, is this your idea of duty and honor? Like making yourself in a way, the face of this movement, so to speak, exploiting it in a way, not telling the whole story. And in the end, turning out to be also the abuser in the situation. Like, is this maybe in her mind, maybe in her mind, it's like, she's already stirring up and it's like, this is it. You know, again, that idea of duty and doing the right thing and serving the people and the public, is this doing Johnny Depp, right? Is this doing the movement, right? Is this doing the general public, right? Like again, maybe in her mind, but to me, this isn't exactly the idea of duty and honor, you know, what we've come to see. So Before we get into that more though, now let's talk about how hard everybody is going in Johnny Depp's corner. This is coming from the girl, mind you, who from the beginning has been in the corner of victims and women, but also of men from the beginning. You know, I've written op-eds. I was on the red carpet with the black dresses and the hoopla and all of it when Me Too first started. But I've always thought that it's been so extreme now. Like no matter the degree of the crime or whatever it is, they're all put in the same camp. And I think that it's really dangerous, you know, for obvious reasons. So you would think that I would be on this bandwagon because you see everybody, it's honestly surprising to me, going really hard with hashtags and trending like free Johnny Depp as if he is solely, solely innocent in this case. And as if Amber Heard was the sole aggressor and abuser and he just was maybe like defending himself or, you know, I just don't think that it's that simple. I really just don't think that it's that simple. Again, you would think I would be the first one in his corner. You know, even when I did my army hammer hammer episode last year, I said, let's just take a beat. Let's get all the evidence. Let's not jump to conclusions before he's stripped of everything and his livelihood and reputation. Like let's get in all the information that we need. You know what I mean? Same thing with Dave Portnoy, the op-ed I wrote about the people speaking out against him in business insider and having him on my show. I thought it was the same thing. I'm like, this is not the degree or the case of a true, you know, abuser, it seems, or a Harvey Weinstein. Let's just take it step by step instead of the danger of the extremes and putting everybody in one camp, you know, but with that said, in in an instance like this, I feel like people are acting again in the extreme to where he's a complete, you know, had no case say in the matter and was completely innocent. Again, I just don't think that it's that simple. I don't know. I feel like the people defending Johnny Depp are, they're going, I feel like you guys need to chill. Like you guys are going a little hard. I just think that neither of them are a sinner or a saint. I think that they were in a mutually abusive relationship. Now, what that abuse looked like, we don't really know. And you know what? The truth, the truth of the matter is we may never really know. I think in some way, shape or form, she was a victim and she was an abuser. Clearly she was an abuser. I mean, there's tapes of her fessing up to hitting him and 
obviously, you know, what happened with him, her throwing a bottle of liquor at him and cut, you know, his, some of his finger off, you know, obviously it was just bad, bad, bad all around, all around bad. Now, I don't think that he laid a hand on her. I, that's just my personal opinion. I just don't think that he hit her. But the other point being, when I revisited this interview and listened to it and really brought myself back to that time, five years, almost five years ago, to me, what was so interesting because her message, even in my talk with her is so, you know, woman forward and claiming power and, you know, not being a victim and yeah, I'm going to kick ass in my personal life and on the screen and be these really like deep, you know, characters and, and bring something and have importance and social responsibility in the world to show women this way. Cut to now. This is what is so fascinating to me. It's like two totally, I don't want to say Jacqueline Hyde, but it's two totally different versions of, and it says so much about our society, about being a woman, because now we see her, whether it be as the ultimate victim, or, and I'm not playing down victimhood by any means, okay? And I don't even want to say she's playing a victim because- Again, I think, you know, in some way, shape or form, she was, you know, the texts he had sent and uh, smashing the cabinets and all this. It's just, it's just a lot. Right. So then you see her now though, like being and portraying this ultimate victim for the entire world to see, you see her in court, you know, she's 36 years old, looking completely haggard and buttons up and depressed and just distraught and sicken. It shed light for me on how in our society, it's like, like go gung ho on really playing up womanhood, whether to your advantage or to your disadvantage, because this is the point it's going to bring up like, well, what about Johnny Depp? So what happens when a man is a victim? Because I believe he's certainly a victim in this case. Right? So what about him then? Because we don't have that with men where it's like, you're either this or you're this. It's like with men, they're all bad. And what was really eye-opening to me, I don't know if you guys heard this, was the audio with Amber and Johnny, because that's how we're really getting a look into all of this. As sad all around and as unfortunate as it is, that's how we're really getting a look into all this because they must have known at some point shit was going to go down because it's it's a mix of video recording, audio recording that the other may or may not have known that they were taken. But this was really disturbing because he talks about being a victim and she's almost taunting him and mocking him. And she's like, really? Who's going to believe you? Who's going to side with you? Oh, a man being a victim? Who's siding with that? And so how ironic coming from the same person who after and on the heels of all of this happening in her personal life, you know, talks to me about the power that comes with being a woman. And then in this clip, you hear it weaponizing that truly weaponizing that. And it's like, how sad. So, you know what, in that regard, maybe it is hypocritical or a double standard there, because that brings me to my next point in all this, which is the stigma. That's a conversation people are talking about right now. It's like, well, what happens when the man is the victim, right? And that's what's become kind of a downfall and the extreme of this whole me too thing. It's kind of what I was getting at earlier, which is we've made it now into this binary thing where not in the way you think it is binary thing where all women are inherently victims and victimized and abused and men 
are the, you know, oppressors, abusers, all of that. But the problem is now you lump it all together. I mean, another example going on right now is Bill Murray. Bill Murray, you know, iconic. What is he like in his set? He's like 70 now, I think. His production on his latest movie is currently at a halt because of allegations. Now, this is what I mean, how we've, we've made it so one way or the other, like this street or that street, you know, a fork in the road, because people have said about Bill Murray on the set, how he's been like kind of flirty, whether it be like, uh, uh, you know, like a kind of grandpa, what I always joke about my Morgan Freeman story, but like that idea of like pulling on your ponytail or kind of like hugging you or whatever. They've complained about things like that, whether it be a little touchy or this or that. And it's kind of like, you know what? I'm sorry. Give me a goddamn break. At that point, this is how people who are in their 70s and 80s joked around, flirted, you know, how they were. If you don't like it, then just say something. But it's this whole thing. This is the problem. It's like they're going to lump stuff like that with the extreme case of abuse like this. And to be honest with you, I don't want to say that I fell for it when Amber Heard came out with all of this, but I remember, you know, a big discussion in this is, has it really impacted his career, his life personally, professionally? And some of it is really dark. He talks about just being broken, threatening to, you know, hurt himself. Obviously too, there's the layer of um, addiction issues, which is just heartbreaking, right? With drugs and alcohol. But I remember when, Amber Heard first came out, there were photos of, you know, what looked like bruises and cuts on her lip. And I don't know exactly what year this was. It could have been maybe after the time I had, I had talked to her on the set of Aquaman, but to be honest with you, it's like, I, again, I don't want to say fell for it, but I totally bought it. I was like, oh my God, this is, I kind of saw Johnny Depp in a different light up until this case because of that, right? Because it's that thing again that we've created, you know, believe all women, all of them, no matter what they're right and they're victims and it doesn't go the other way. And now all of this is just so eye-opening and mind-blowing because you're seeing the woman who really was an abuser to this man. Who knows now how much of that can be undone? Seeing now all this play out, it's like, don't believe everything you see. You know, it's like, kind of like, don't judge a book by its cover, but way more hardcore than just that, right? But it's that concept. It's like, we don't really know. And at this point in time, I mean, I think we're week two. This is going to be, I don't know, a six, seven, eight week trial. We're day, I think nine into it. He's taken the sand. She hasn't taken the sand. I mean, honestly, this moment in pop culture, apparently James Franco's testifying, Elon Musk. Like we have yet to see the full extent of this. I mean, it, it is just wild. Two testimonies that have stuck out to me so far are his friend from childhood, which people are deeming. They're like, he is a hero. He's this like Brooklyn straight shooter, no BS guy. And I thought that this was really telling because her attorney, which her attorneys are awful. Everyone's saying they're like so off-putting. They're so combative and also incompetent at times. Like I saw one guy object his own question. And the judge is like, it was your question. And he's like, objection, but neither here nor there. I digress. But, you know, she asked him in a very combative way, like, are you angry? Meanwhile, he lived right next door to them. He saw everything. He's like, I never saw anything on her face. We also learned again, this is like so crazy and messy, but we also learned about a time Johnny Depp says when 
They got in a fight. Clearly there were physical altercations here. They got in a fight and Amber Heard comes out being like, look what you did. Look what you did. Making it look like he punched her nose, but it was red nail polish on a tissue that he says he found in a garbage later. This is Johnny Depp, not the friend, but the friend says, I'm not angry. It's like this lady just opened the floodgate for him. Cause he's like, I'm not angry. I'm just tired. I want them both to move on with their lives and find peace. But he starts crying because he sees how much this has damaged his friend, you know, personally, professionally, he has kids, the movies he lost being put on the outs of Hollywood and really given the cold shoulder and being separated from him. Do you know what I mean? And look, it's like Bill Murray on a tiny, tiny, tiny scale, his production's coming to a halt and all this for something so, you know, minuscule. That's how blown out of proportion this is all, you know, this whole thing has become. I thought that that was really telling. And even the marriage counselor, I thought was really telling too, because she says that obviously both of them have issues, right? Whether they grew up in abusive relationships with parents and Amber's case has abandonment issues. So the marriage counselor talks about how there definitely was mutual abuse there, but how Johnny Depp would often kind of just shut down or be shut down by Amber, who was so combative. And again, kind of like the instigator and the aggressor, aggressor wouldn't let him get a word in and he would often just get up and walk away and how she would rather start a fight or try to keep fighting to get him to stay because she just so wouldn't want to be abandoned. So the point is, it's just none of it is black and white. I don't think it has to be you are a victim and that is all you are, or you are not a victim and you're innocent and that is all you are. Or, you know, when it comes to being a woman, it's like I'm empowered and that's all I am, or I'm a victim and that's all I am. Maybe all of this is a little bit of both. That is the point, you know, and like the waters of Atlantis that I may or may not have, you know, the pleasure of dipping into myself on the set five years ago, it's all a little bit murky. So I think that it's something like these recordings, like all of this, like what we've seen, like what's unfolding. It's just something to keep in the back of your mind at all times. Whether you see the memes, the hashtags, people jumping on bandwagons one way or the other, it is like all things complicated and friends. That is the lesson today. Such is life.